Welcome back, everybody, to So Every Soul Sings, Worship for the Real Church. Lately, I've been doing some running. I've been doing some running with you, yeah. actually. Yay. And do you remember that I told you a trick of the trade for running up hills? Yes, you said look right in front of your feet. Don't look at the top of the hill. Just look in front of your feet and think I could go forever. And, I mean, you can tell me if you think that works or not. That's interesting. I, I want to power through. So I want to look at the top of the hill and think, I'm going to take this hill. But I also, <laughs> when we talk about running, those who don't know me personally wouldn't know that um, I'm a large man. And so <laughs> running forever feels like impossible. Um, running four miles, which I hope to do at our relay uh race that we're doing for the relay worship conference in November feels like impossible to me. It's not, and I'm training and I'm getting there, but yeah, to think that I could run forever feels like forever. To feel like I could take this hill. Yes, I could take that hill. And then I might die like right after I crest it, <laughs> but I will feel like I have accomplished something. So I don't know yet. I, we, we need to do more running so I can find out if it, if it's working. Yeah. I think for me, it's definitely a trick that works because in running, I have found you can't be anywhere you're not at. You can only be right where you're at. And if you are starting up a big hill, it, to me anyway, and to a lot of people, I think it's discouraging to see a big hill in front of you. So it's better to just focus on your progress. Yeah, I trust And then before you, you know it, you're up. You know? I trust you. So I was looking in front of my feet when we were running up that hill. <laughs> yep. Curiopolis Park in Bowling Green, Kentucky. So yes, we'll... We'll keep trying. We'll keep training. <laughs> so today you have some um, tricks of the trade for us when it comes to worship leading. Yes. Yeah, I, I guess they're tricks of the trade. I would rather think of them as keys that open the door. Um, but I think the more important thing is they're supernatural. They are a gift from the father. They aren't things that we can come up with. They're things that he has already given us. And because he's given us, I mean, you know, he's a good father. And so he gives us good gifts. And these are good gifts from him that we need to employ when we are, I think, um, imagining and planning and leading and engaging in worship. All those phases, the more they are infused with these three keys or tricks of the trade, uh, the more I anticipate that our worship gatherings would be filled with an awareness of the presence of God. Um, an evoking of the presence of God and, and a response to the, to the presence of God. And, and I just think that's going to be dynamic and, and something that people will want to be a part of. So every soul sings, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's <laughs> the goal. Yeah. And this past Sunday night, you got to, um, we're recording late August, 2020. Um, and this past Sunday night, we got to have you come to our church and lead worship for worship on the lawn outside. And I got to share with our congregation for the first time, the whole slogan kind of thing of so every soul sings and why our worship ministry is, is fashioned that way. And, um, they were dialed in and I had good comments from them and, um, it was more older folks than younger folks, which is a win. Because in worship ministry, it's hardest, I think, in a, in a modern church setting. Or in a, uh, we're not an edgy church. Oh, my goodness, we're not even close to an edgy church. But we sing <laughs> current music. Um, and so it's it, the greater challenge is to, in, to get the older generations and traditionalists engaged. And they just were. And so Every Soul Sings made sense to them. And kind of reading the room, so to speak. Um, and then, again, feedback afterwards 
I, I was thrilled that it seemed to resonate with our folks. And I hope it will resonate not just with our listeners, but with people that our listeners will share this with and and use the slogan. I mean, they aren't my words. They're just words. So, you know, if it can serve you in your ministry context, start talking about it. I, we don't need credit. Just We just want souls to sing. So, yeah. That, yes. Yeah. So it's totally worth all the sweat and sucking a bug down my throat, which did happen <laughs> while I was singing. Yes, it is the year of the Great. plagues, evidently. So it's yeah. <laughs> all that surprising that a bug would find its way into your throat. Oh. Yeah. <clears throat> Gross. Yeah. So the first, <laughs> the first key that I want to talk about is one that um, I, I probably for 15 or 20 years, I mean, a long time, this has been meaningful to me. It kind of really hit a new place of openness when Keith and Kristen Getty introduced their song, My Heart is Filled with Thankfulness which is just the most amazing text. And, um, and I love it so much. And to think that our hearts can be filled with thankfulness um, was just a beautiful thought. And I love listening to Kristen sing it. Um, but really, I just like to think about, meditate on the things for which I'm thankful. It, it grieves me that we relegate Thanksgiving to the month of November. And then we kind of yeah. leave it out, you know, except for, Okay, what do you say, son or daughter? Thank you. You know, it's there's so much more to it than that. And I, I would love for us to make Thanksgiving um, a constant characteristic of our worship gatherings. I, I really think the Bible leads us that direction. The Psalms are filled with Thanksgiving. It's not hard when you get to the third or fourth Sunday of November to, to choose song, to Psalms <laughs> or scripture passages that have thankfulness in them. Uh, it, it's kind of always the same, but it's also kind of all over the place. And that's simply give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercies endures forever or whatever. And uh, mm-hmm. those phrases are, are beautiful. So I, I think Thanksgiving is a key to unlocking the worship of our people. You know, the a, a time in my life when it was hard every day to have joy um, a friend sent me the book 1000 gifts hmm. by Ann Voskamp, where she was also struggling <laughs> in her life with feelings of depression. And, um, she began listing out and, and her goal was to list a thousand things that were gifts of love to her from God. And what she discovered is exactly what we're talking about, that it literally displaces uh, negative feelings oh, wow. and, it because there's not room for it if you if you cultivate the discipline of finding things not looking for finding them because you will find them like you don't have to search far if you you will find them if you yeah. look for things to be grateful for to be thankful for uh it will literally displace um some negative emotions and i think that it's um a practice of self-control that is actually a fruit, a fruit of the Holy spirit is self-control. Right. And I think the practice of being grateful and of Thanksgiving in our lives will, will, uh, if we are self-controlled to do that, it will result in that. Yeah. I would encourage listeners, whether in a worship gathering or by yourself, if you get to more than 10 or 15 things that you're thankful for, like as an exercise, you will find yourself worshiping. 
it just inevitably leads that direction. So why in the world wouldn't we want to start our worship gatherings with with a word of thanksgiving mm-hmm. or to use those, those very, very common words throughout all of the old Testament, um, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his mercies endures forever or whatever that, you know, that, that kind of phraseology, if we just start our services with that or help point our people in that direction, it just cultivates or evokes worship. It, it almost can't help it that as we are thankful, it's an inevitable experience. Now there is a difference I would say in feeling gratitude and expressing gratitude. Yes. So the journaling of a thousand was probably really important for Anne when she wrote that. If she just yes. thought of it, that would not be complete. But to write it down or to say it out loud mm-hmm. or to cheer for it or whatever, you know, it's it's the expression of gratitude that will give it its power, not just the internalization or feeling of gratitude. And so help help your people as you are worshiping, help yourself as you're worshiping to express gratitude and you will discover, I think, that it just inevitably overflows into a sense of how great God is and wanting to love him for his greatness. So it's, the, it's hard to worship when you're anxious. It is. Yes. You know, or filled with worry. Yeah. And it's or really afraid when you're anxious or filled with worry or yeah. So as a worshiper, this is a great discipline as a worship leader. It might be an essential discipline for that yeah. very reason. Mm-hmm. So I just say, enter his gates with thanksgiving and make that the mantra of the worship leader uh, every week. Express your gratitude to your team. I don't care if your team is one other person or 10 other people or 30 other people. Just express your gratitude to your team and let them know. Again, don't just feel thankful for them, but tell them that you're thankful for them. Um, do it with sincerity. Don't, don't do it because you're supposed to. But, you know, find that gratitude in your heart and then let it out. And I, I think it will change the way that you lead. I think it will change the way you encounter God. So I'm, I'm a fan of Thanksgiving. I think we need to do it more and more. And it does. I, I love the word displace. It does literally shove out of the way those mm-hmm. feelings of anxiety or fear or nervousness um, mm-hmm. or whatever. And so, yeah, let's just be more expressive of more Thanksgiving. Amen. So there's a second one, and it's it's a word that um, we don't use much in our day, but it's awe, A-W-E. By the way, I think in texting, A-W-W-W-W is, that's sweet and cute. And <laughs> A-W-E is, that's amazing and, that, and wow. But I think it's so fun to watch people who say, aw, as if that's, A-W-E and A-A-A-A-A-A. Anyway, so um, seldom are we more moved to worship than in moments of awe. So like when, if you can remember the first time you saw the ocean Mm. or the first time you saw the Grand Canyon, which I haven't seen yet, I want to. uh, Oh, it's awe-inspiring. Yeah, that's what everybody says. And I have a lot of friends who have been and they say, it doesn't even matter if you look at a picture. No, nope. doesn't really help. You know, it's a big they hole around, but yeah. Yeah. So I want to go Niagara Falls. Yes. Niagara Falls. Also. Absolutely. Yeah. The seven wonders of the world, so to speak, <laughs> you know, they make us wonder like in, in wonder or all those, those words are really close to each other. Um, I also think I was just in, uh, in Florida in June. I didn't bring COVID back with me. I'm so grateful. Um, <laughs> me too. Yeah. <laughs> but I sat by the ocean and looked at the waves and I'm guessing I've seen the ocean 50 times. I don't know. 
a lot because because we love to go. That's our anytime we can go on vacation. That's where we want. It's why we haven't seen the Grand Canyon because we just always want to go see the. Ocean. <laughs> but I just I sat on the beach and looked at the waves and was just awed by the power that's in them. And I've seen it so many times. How in the world can I continue to be in awe? Well, I think it's because it's a gift of the creator who made that. He thought up the ocean. So when you see things that are awe-inspiring and then you connect them to the God who made them, then I think that's a great way to help our worshipers connect to the greatness of God. And when they do, they will be compelled to worship. I I remember... um, Gosh, this is forever ago. This is before kids. So maybe 30 Mm -hmm. years ago, Jackie and I lived in um, Dearborn, Michigan, which is not far from Canada. Uh, Yeah. A lot of the year, it's pretty chilly. Um, My mother and a friend of hers uh, that she traveled with uh, came to visit us, and we went to see the National Cathedral of Canada. And I had been in Catholic church bef- churches before. I had been in cathedrals before. But we walked into this worship space. And I don't know what it was, except it was all. Hmm. The room was so silent that we didn't want to talk. Hmm. It, was, um, it was like a holy whisper was all that was appropriate. And so we would say, look at that window. Or look at those colors. But... Everything had to be whispered because it just seemed like we were in the presence of a mighty and transcendent God. I, I, I remember that from 30 years ago. That, that kind of awe um, seems like it ought to characterize our encounter with an awesome God. That, that we, we lose that. We're, we're, I don't want to say we do lose it. One of the dangers of modern worship is that it becomes so comfortable that we forget we are in the presence of an all-filled God, a holy God, a, a, the God that when the Ark of the Covenant was falling off the cart, somebody tried to steady it and it and it killed them. Like that's the power of God. We 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 can forget that the God we worship should fill us with all. So as worship leaders, one of the privileges we have is to remind our people of the awesomeness of God. And uh, Grant Norsworthy is a a worship leader from Australia, works um, with Lifeway some and and helps churches all over just with their worship. And and he says he won't use the word awesome just to describe anything except God. Oh, I like that. (laughs) If the pizza is amazing, he won't say, this is awesome. Uh, He'll wait. Awesome. Probably awesome. (laughs) He will just say, this is the best pizza I've ever had, but only God is awesome. Wow. I don't follow that rule, but I think there's some wisdom in thinking that way. And, and maybe well, for those that have, you know, kind of been believers for a long time, you maybe grew up in the church. Like, I think it is something you have to discipline yourself or remind yourself of often because we can become so familiar and so casual about these great things about God and how great he is, how great God is and how powerful he is. I I wrote a song many years ago and uh, in it, I included the lyric, um, you are jealous and angry Mm. that there's all of these aspects to God that uh, we, we like to casually gloss over or maybe not talk about as much, Mm -hmm. but in reality, God is awesome 
and wholly fear inspiring. And maybe it does have something to do with the fear of the Lord, that kind of reverence and respect and awe that sometimes, unfortunately, I don't have (laughs) as much as I should. Go back to the illustration of the ocean. If you've ever been caught in a riptide, you know that it can be terrifying. And that's just the power of the ocean that you don't see. And God is more terrifying than a riptide, except for the blood of Jesus and his grace and his mercy. But those things have less meaning if we don't believe that his wrath is um, uh, fire. I mean, it's just... Mm-hmm. I, I suppose another way to say that it is heaven isn't as beautiful until you understand how hot hell is. Mm. And so the same thing I think is true of God, that, that his goodness is not as beautiful to us as unless we understand the danger of his wrath. And, and mm. in New Testament church times, we, like you said, we tend to gloss over those Old Testament references to the wrath of God, but it's consistent and he does have wrath. And the, the, the astounding thing is his wrath was poured out on Jesus for us, but that can only be astounding if we understand what that really means. And so I, yes, all is whew, all evokes worship. I, I love Psalm 65, yes. eight. It says those who live at the ends of the earth stand in awe of your wonders for where the sun rises to where it sets, you inspire shouts of joy. God does the inspiring. We don't. We're not trying to make our people feel all. We're just trying to help our people glimpse the awesome nature of God. And then he's the one who inspires shouts of joy. He's the one in whom we stand in awe of. Uh, I, I also, because I've been thinking about this for a while, I, um, a sermon a couple of weeks ago at church was on Acts 2 the end of the chapter. And so I was reading in preparation for that and came across Acts 2.43. And I'd never noticed this, the word all was in this mm-hmm. sentence before, but it, describing the early church, it says a deep sense of all came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. The all came first and it characterized the church. I just wonder how our testimony as a church would be different if we were characterized by all. Mm-hmm. Well, I think part of that <clears throat> is uh, an awareness of how much we have been forgiven. I think Absolutely. that should evoke awe in us. It makes me think of the story of the woman who is described as having been forgiven much, yep. and therefore she loved much. Yes. And I think just unfortunately in the church, I think it's easy to become self-righteous and compare ourselves with other people. And when we do that, we disqualify ourselves from a, an actual perspective, a real perspective on how our sin looks to God. And B, I think it disqualifies us uh, in a sense, you know, it keeps us from being able to appreciate what we have been forgiven of and therefore dance and sing and rejoice uh, like people who didn't deserve the grace that we've received. Yeah, there was a season in my life where I was very aware of um, what humanly consider what would be con- considered by humans as sinfulness. You know, all sins the same to God. We categorize them. So I was very aware of my own mm-hmm. sinfulness, and for months and to some extent years after that season of my life, uh, it was nearly impossible for me to sing about the grace of God without losing it <laughs> yeah. because I was so aware of my sinfulness. 
And so when we, when we become less aware of our sinfulness, we become less amazed by the grace of God. And, and our sinfulness doesn't characterize us. The, the righteousness of Christ does. But our sinfulness is what reminds us of, of just how great that forgiveness is. So I, I'm with you. And it's one of the reasons that we probably need to find better ways in the contemporary church to do confession. Yeah. And I don't know what that is. I'm looking, I'm thinking, I'm reading, I'm studying as a part of going and getting my, my doctorate. I'm thinking about that. I just, I want to find a way in the modern church movement, um, the non-liturgical modern church work movement to, to, to sing words of confession that really do start with um, like, what's the song that starts? I'm guilty. Um, oh yes. Yeah. How can it be? Right. Um, just, to remember Love that song. I do too. It, and, and the, how can it be is a statement of all, how in the world, God, can you yes. love me and forgive me because of the depth of my depravity, except for by your grace, which is undeserved and amazing and life changing. In, in James, it says that we are to confess our sins to one another so that we can be healed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what you're talking about is vulnerability, which If you haven't listened to it yet, you should go back right now and search for our podcast um, because we did an entire episode on vulnerability and that it's a door to freedom or a door to victory. Yes. And something that many of us avoid at all costs, which means we're avoiding (laughs) our own best by avoiding it at all costs. So, yeah, there's there's one more key. We've talked about Thanksgiving and we've talked about all, but I I also want to get to the key that. I don't even know if it's fair to, to include with Thanksgiving and all because it's so much greater or he's so much greater. And that is the Holy Spirit. Oh, my favorite. Yeah. The, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I, I am learning more and more uh, just the difference in the role of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament versus the old. And so as you read the New Testament, keep your eyes open to the way that the spirit works. In the Old Testament, you'll see the phrase over and over again. And the spirit of God came upon fill in the blank, whoever this name was. Yes. And then they did something amazing. <laughs> But in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit doesn't have to fall on an individual because the Holy Spirit is in all individuals. And so it characterizes the life of the church. And I love looking for that as I'm reading through the Bible this year. It's it's so fun to just read through Acts or read through Corinthians and just watch how the Spirit is manifest. Um, I, I would say nothing trumps the Spirit. Thanksgiving doesn't <laughs> trump sure. the Spirit. All doesn't trump the Spirit. The Spirit <laughs> is like the ace of spades in a game of spades, only times a billion. Because the Holy Spirit is God. This is, we learn by the Spirit. We lead by the Spirit. We lead in the Spirit. We welcome the Spirit. We love by the Spirit. And if I was going to just challenge any of you to study one thing in the New Testament in the next few months, unless God's led you to something else, don't let my voice trump his. It was the Holy Spirit's voice that led you that way. But I would just encourage you to study the word or the topic spirit in the new Testament, mm. see how it changes the way you worship and see how it changes the way that you serve as a worship leader, because the role of the spirit changes the dynamics of everything that we do. And, and unless you are feeling like, or believing that you are walking in the spirit, by the way, walking in the yes. spirit, is not the same as perfection. Yes. <laughs> None of us does this perfectly all the time, etc. But the right. more you do, the more your own worship will be unleashed and the more your worship leading will unleash the presence of that very spirit in the room, in in the people that you're leading. It it is hard to describe, hard to articulate, but incredible to see. And, And again, I don't know that you ever feel like you're crushing it. Like 
if you do, <laughs> you might have an issue with pride, but well, we all do, don't we? Um, so <laughs> I don't know that you can always feel like you're crushing it. Like you're always walking in the spirit, always planning in the spirit, always leading by the spirit. I, I think it's something that we pursue and the more faithfully we pursue it, the more faithful we see God's evidence of that pursuit. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, I think that because of the nature of the Holy Spirit, it prevents us from being able to take all of the credit. <laughs> so I think when you really are walking by the Spirit, you don't feel like, woohoo, I'm doing it. You know, I think yeah. you mostly feel grateful and maybe full of awe. <laughs> yeah. But well seriously. Yeah. And um, in reference, I would say a great place to start uh, to study and to read would be Romans 6, 7, and 8. Mm. Uh, just tremendous passages of scripture that talk about our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and, and then uh, John 14, 15, 16, 17, because uh, Jesus talks so much about the Holy Spirit in those passages and just the interconnection of the Trinity and how they all work together. So we're not saying the Holy Spirit is more important now than Jesus or the Father but that um, they work together in such an amazing way. And oftentimes I think we, we are lacking in our understanding of the Holy Spirit and um, how the Spirit works. And so those passages would be a great place to start. Thank you. That's super helpful. When you said Romans 6, 7, 8, I, I just immediately flashed to Romans 8, which is, you know, for many of us, a favorite chapter in the Bible. And then verse 28, that is a coffee mug verse, you know, um, you know <laughs> yeah. that things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Um, it's a great verse. I love the verse. For, for years and years and years, I would have said it was my favorite verse. I have others that are now up there with it. I, I, I love so much of the scriptures. But it, it is easy to just kind of focus on Romans 8.28 and not get through the whole spirit part of that chapter that so makes Romans 8.28 makes so much more sense. And so yes. I, I spent, I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, I don't recall, but I've spent about six months one year, it's probably been a decade ago, where I would read Romans 8 every day and then I would just journal about one verse at a time. So I would read the whole chapter and then I'd go back to verse mm -hmm. one. And I would journal about verse one. I'd read next day. I'd read the whole chapter journal about verse two. And I yeah, went that's that. meditating, by the way, for those yeah. of you that think of meditation as like a new agey, weird, foofy, swoopy thing. That's what meditating is. It's foofy and swoopy. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. We need more foofy that's, and swoopy. Foofy and swoopy. <laughs> that's meditating on scripture, you guys. And that's yeah. what all of us need to be doing with the scripture. We chew on it. We think about it over and over and over. And small pieces at a time is better for that. Yep. Um, I, I don't think we – have we done an episode where we talked about reading the Bible? Um, no. I, I love this. Um, <laughs> we could. We, we'll put that on the docket um, because yeah. I think – yeah, well, well, we'll save that. But if you will read the Bible in two ways, if you'll read it broadly and narrowly, then you will discover things that you didn't see if you just read it occasionally. So when I say broadly, like this year, I'm reading through the Bible aloud, the whole Bible in one year. That's not, you know, mind blowing. People have been reading through the Bible in a year for centuries. Um, but then there are also times when I will just choose a verse, especially if it's a verse I'm going to read in church, then I really ponder, meditate, think through, dig deep into that verse. And the broadness is helps with context. And then the narrow focus helps with depth. And so I would encourage you to read 
both. If you were going to read Romans 6, 7, and 8, sit down and read Romans 6, 7, and 8. All of it. It, it will take yep. you less than 20 minutes, I'm guessing. So read through yep. Romans 6, 20, 7, and 8, and then think, okay, how does the Holy Spirit, and then just see if there's a verse that you're drawn to. And if so, the next day or two or three, then meditate on that verse. So allow yourself to have the context, but also allow yourself to have the narrow focus. And, and what, you will, what will happen is that narrow focus will have greater depth of meaning for you. And the context will help you con- contextualize it in your own life. Like, how does this fit in my day-to-day walk? So anyway, we'll, we'll talk more about that another time. But I do think understanding the role of the Spirit in worship is essential. It does say, actually, in John chapter 4, verse 23, um, the teaching where we have the most from Jesus about worship, that the Father is looking for people. He's out scouring the, the hills and the valleys and the buildings and the churches. He's looking for people who will worship in spirit mm-hmm. and in truth. But yes. spirit is half of that. And if we're not worshiping yeah. in spirit, by the spirit, for the spirit, with the spirit, then we're missing out on the kind of worship that the Father is looking for. So let's, let's look for that. Um, one more f- thought before we go. We may actually finish in 30 minutes. That'd be great. Um, I recognize that we titled this Supernatural Tricks of the Trade. These really aren't tricks. T- tricks is a terrible way to think about these things. <laughs> God doesn't play tricks on us, and heaven help us if we play tricks on one another. We don't want to be tricksters. Um, but they are supernatural. Hmm. They, they really are. They are above the natural. These are things that don't just happen on the planet. They happen because God is sovereign over the planet and they happen when, when heaven meets earth. And, and so they are supernatural. These are keys. These are the things that God has given us. They are good gifts from our good father that ensure that our worldly worship has a heavenly dynamic. And I'm not sure about worship at your church, but at my church, that's what I want. And I think it's what our people want. And as in a previous episode we talked about, I think that's what's going to bring people back when our worldly worship has a heavenly dynamic. So let's worship with thanksgiving. Let's worship with all and let's worship in spirit and truth and see what happens. I have a suspicion that it's going to make your church more real because this is worship for the real church. And that when that happens, more souls will be singing than had ever been singing before. So thanks for joining us. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, If there's a way we can serve you, if there's a topic you want to hear us talk about, email me at rodellis at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. I promise I will reply. If you haven't heard from me after that, text me at 502-229-0114 because it means the email went to spam. And I would hate that. (laughs) So um, let us know. And share this. uh, Rate and review on iTunes. Uh, Help us spread the word. If you feel like it's a worthy um, endeavor, to get more soul singing and more of our worship gatherings, then, then help us. We, we would love that. And again, we want to hear from you. So thank you for listening. Um, we'll, we'll see you next time. See ya.